Today, on the Heartland Community Church podcast, Sharman Pittman brings part two of the series titled Desert Sessions. The message today is titled, How Do We Find Our Identity in the Desert? So, there's this story, and I'm quite sure that you guys have seen it. It's called The Born Identity. Have y'all seen that movie before? Good movie? Yay or nay? Rotten Tomatoes? Thumbs up? Thumbs down? Thumbs up? Okay, cool. So, this particular movie is one of my favorite movies. I grew up watching the series of The Born Identity. I've seen every single one of them. Never read the book, though. So, for some of you that have read the book, good job for you. The movie is better. <laughs> but... I was watching, I, I was, as I was preparing for my message and I was just thinking about identity, um, I said, okay. And I thought about this movie. And I thought about how Jason Bourne, when, when the first movie opens up, he's like shipwrecked and he is isolated on an island by himself. And he wakes up, doesn't know who he is, but he knows that, I think he checks his wallet and he's able to see that he has like money, a couple of passports, and he's, he has these gifts and talents. But he doesn't know who he is. So he goes throughout each one of these movies trying to figure out, like, who he is. And he has this agent, um, a rogue agent, as they would call it, that's trying to give him directions of, like, Jason, this is who you are. Go here. Go there. And you'll be able to figure out and get the answers that you need. As I thought about that, I said, man, that's a lot like us. Minus the agent in our head telling us where to go and what to do all the time as far as an audible voice, but God still speaks. But in that parallel, I begin to really think about like, okay, if all of us on this journey, God, and one of the most important things that we can do is find our identity in you, not the born identity, but the B-O-R-N, like born again Christian, a born again believer, is where we rest and find our identity at. I think it's something there to that that we need to kind of hone in on a little bit more. Would y'all agree with that? Okay, so this is, as I was going further, I was looking up the the definition of identity, okay? And the definition of identity is defined as the fact of being who or what a person or thing is, okay? And then it went to tell us some of the things that shape our identity, family structure, culture, friends, personal interests, and surrounding environments are all factors that tend to help shape a person's identity. So... It would make sense because every single one of us come from a different background, different cultural background, different ethnic background, however we want to define it, that all of our answers would vary. Agree? But as I was thinking about this, I said, you know, God, it's funny how the enemy will take the complexities that you've made, every single individual different, and use it against us. And actually cause us to put whatever identity that we find within our cultural norms or in society above who you say we are. So I want to ask this question. Who are you? Now, when you guys came in, uh, our great first impressions team just was just killing it today. So y'all, give it up for our first impressions. Preparing the house of God. Warm welcomes and all. They gave you guys some name tags that allow you to say who you are. So it says, I am dot, 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 all right? So what I'm gonna do briefly, if you guys can work with me, I want you to write down or think about whoever you are without using your name. And I wanna call on maybe two or three people just to get the message moving along. So if y'all don't give me an answer, we're gonna stay stuck. Okay? So I am dot, dot, dot. I'm gonna start on this side of the room. Just throw something out there based off 
what I just, those instructions I just gave you. Not everybody at once. It's a little overwhelming. Okay. Somebody said something over here. A child of God. Somebody said a mother. Say it again. Father, husband. Come on. A boss. Okay. Buffalo Bills fan. <clears throat> In the middle. A Christian. Oh, y'all, y'all, did y'all time that together on, on purpose? That was a good job. Over here. Blessed. I am blessed. That's a good one. Over here, y'all, y'all got anything for me? Grandmother. Mom. Okay, so you see how everybody's answer was different? Because every single one of us view ourselves differently. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging those things. But I want to kind of dive a little bit deeper into who we are and who you are. Because I, I, I know the answer, disclaimer. It's not my definition, but it's your Heavenly Father's definition. Okay? So, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we get a chance to see the, like, Jesus the beginning of his ministry, as his cousin John the Baptist is born and, you know, Elizabeth went to meet, Ma- or Mary went to Elizabeth and all of that. So we fast forward quite a few years. And this is the first time we get a chance to see Jesus. And the scripture reads, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. Now, this is an interesting note, an interesting point to make, that this is prior to Jesus' ministry even starting. So Jesus hadn't performed any miracles. He hadn't turned water into wine. He hasn't healed the blind. He hasn't, made, he hasn't done any of that. But for some reason, the father is saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So what is God pleased about? He hadn't done anything. Like, if you just walk in a room and you just show up, somebody says, hey, I'm pleased that you're here. You're going to be like, okay, something's wrong with you. But if we look at it from this lens and understand, it's not about what we do. When the Father made every single one of us, he looked down and said, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I love, with whom I'm pleased. It's not about our actions that causes God to love us more. It's nothing that we can do. For after all, he already sent his son to die, die before any of us in this room even existed. So you just being you, God is pleased with. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have to continue to walk this thing out called life and continue to press toward and, and live a life pleasing to God. But it's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is, which is your father. So in the next chapter, the first temptation, as I was reading this, that the enemy messes with Jesus is with his identity. The first thing that he tempts him with is his identity. He says, well, Scripture says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, I know a lot of times when we read the scripture, we hear Jesus say certain things, and some of us be like, okay, he was very deep. Like, that was a very deep response. Like, yes. But I, 
I, as I was reading this scripture, I thought to myself, I'm like, the devil knows who he is. So, Jesus, what are you showing us? Because I believe that whenever the enemy comes into our lives, it, it, it's also a lesson attached to that that the Lord is trying to teach us. So, when he asked him, if you are the son of God, which he already knew, Jesus' response is, first, not, do you know who I am? You already got kicked out of heaven. You want, you want, you want to go lower than that? Like, who you, you talking, you know who I am. But Jesus responds so, so just perfectly. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but, but, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which means, although, yes, I'm hungry, because I've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, I can't make it through a day without, in fasting without, like, Lord, this is too much. This is not my cross. If it was up to me, I would be out of luck. 40 days, 40 nights, that's a long time. But he basically tells him, it's, it's not, man shall not live off bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Which means Jesus was already clear. If Jesus was to say this, if Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God, that is an indicator that we need to pay attention to. Because it's written. He said it's written. So, yes, you are hungry. Or yes, you may be struggling financially. Or yes, you may have this issue. Yes, you may be battling this. But the Father is telling you, hey, it's written. Don't let your issues and circumstances drive your behavior. Because man shall not live off bread alone but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So this is a clear indication of not only him reinforcing his identity and understanding who he is, but also whose he is. And if Jesus had to do it, or if Jesus did it, then that's a clear, that's a clear point that that's something we have to constantly be in reminding ourselves of. So Jesus sets this up for us, and we, we get a chance after, after this, I continued to read, and I said, all right, Lord, where is you, got, where is you want to take me on this journey? So he took me to Genesis, okay? And he took me to this point. Let me back up a little bit. If you are. If you are. And I said, like, well, Lord, there have been many times in my life where I have been going through things, and I have been hit with this question I ask myself. Well, God, if you love me so much, why am I going through this? God, if I am who you say I am, why is this happening to me? I prayed, I tried to fast, and it didn't work, or it didn't turn out in, my, in, in the way that I needed it to happen. So what's going on? And I'm sure all of us have been in a place where we have looked up to the heavens and said, God, if you are who you say you are, help me out. Now, some of us may be in a different spiritual place where you never asked, answered that question. Okay. John the Baptist did. John the Baptist lived a life of decrease. John the Baptist lived a life in the desert because he knew what he was here to do. He didn't need affirmation on his identity because he had already, he knew the one who sent him. But there was a part where even John the Baptist began to say, whoo, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, because, oh, cousin, Family, fam, I need help. 
because my situation ain't looking like we even related right now. I'm in prison, you still moving around freely, and they saying they gonna chop my head off. So I, I know I walk with you and I know I baptize you and I know I was in a voice in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way, but were you the right person? And of course, if we didn't have the Bible, we didn't have the text to show us how that story ended, we would think, oh, okay, he was freed from prison and he lived a life pleasing to God and he was prosperous and everything else. Newsflash, no, he ended up getting his head chopped off. So I asked myself, I said, Lord, in those moments when we say if you are and it doesn't turn out how we think it'll turn out, what are we to do with that? Because everybody has been at that place where you've desired something would turn out the way you wanted it to turn out, but it didn't happen that way. But you still got to keep believing. And I believe in that moment, John the Baptist said, you know, right at that moment where he probably was getting beheaded, it's like, you know what? I was reminded when I asked, are you who you say you are? And it confirmed it for him when he got news back. You know what? He is the Messiah. So I'll go into this thing ready, willing, and waiting to give my life. Because to die for you is to gain eternal and everlasting life. So if we take that mindset, we will put ourselves in a position to where our circumstances don't define us or dictate how we respond because we know there's one who sits on the throne who's advocating for us, who's praying for us, and interceding for us. So I want to go to my next story. My next story is one of my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible because I think um, everybody can relate to being a dreamer. Raise your hand if y'all dream. Y'all got dreams, hopes and dreams? You got dreams? Okay. So as I'm telling this story, as I try to paint this picture, I want you guys to put yourselves in this story, okay? So I'm going to talk about the dreamer, Joseph. Now, Joseph is a very vibrant young man. Some, his siblings would call him a, a pest, very aggravating, because he kept having dreams. And then his daddy had the nerve to show favoritism. You're going to get a coat, a colorful coat. Meanwhile, the older brothers are out working hard, trying to, to build whatever it is their father has. But Joseph is having these dreams, and Joseph is like, you know, Dad, I, I had this dream that I was going to be great, and all of y'all was going to bow down to me, and all of this stuff. And his father understood, but his father also had to tell him, hey, be careful of what you say, because your brothers don't really take well to that. But son, you're not wrong. So not only did he have affirmation from his father, he also was given dreams from his heavenly father. So Joseph had no reason to believe anything different, right? Would y'all agree on that? Okay. However, <laughs> his dreams didn't seem to fare well in his reality. Because after having these dreams, Joseph finds himself in a pit. By himself, he comes from a big family in which whom he's loved by his father and his mother, but his brothers are jealous and he's now neglected, he's now alone, and he's now in a position where he's like, God, wait, 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 what happened to those dreams? This, this, this ain't aligning with what you just showed me. But 
I think the way Joseph went through this, as I think is a way, it's, it's, it's a golden nugget in this, that when we are in our desert seasons going through these un, unforeseen circumstances that we can't stand and we don't want to go through, if we can go through them like Joseph, I think there's something powerful in that. So I want to read chapter 39, verse 2 through 6. And the text reads, the Lord was with Joseph, so he proposed, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So this is right after Joseph is taken out of the pit and sold, into, uh, sold to Potiphar, who was an uh, Egyptian leader. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and, because, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, how many of you would say, when I'm in a time of despair, that your first response is, but God is with me. So when I was reading this scripture, even though Joseph was in, he was, he was, in a, he was just got out of the pit, being sold into slavery. So he's a slave. Now he's a servant. But the audacity of the Lord was with him. And the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Well, if the Lord gave him success in everything he did, wouldn't he be free? Like, wouldn't he be able to get out of that situation? So I thought to myself, I said, well, wait, Lord. So even in the midst of his desert, you were providing and you were blessing him, but you were blessing him the way you saw fit for the gift and the calling and the need to be nurtured into what you had called it to be. So... I kept going. I kept reading. Then I went to the part where, okay, now he's successful, right? Everything that he touched in his, his master's house was successful and all of these things. And then he runs into a situation where he's lied on by his master's wife. Now he's put into prison. And it's, it was this it's like continuation of this same statement. And I'll read it. Chapter 39. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those he held in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Now, on the outside, it's like, what kind? Okay, God, what, what, <laughs> what you doing? I go from one situation to the next, but every situation, the Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. I'm sorry, kindness and favor in prison don't make sense to me. I don't know, like, I, I don't know anybody who's like, yeah, I want to go there and get that. But yet, God was with him. But I can imagine that in Joseph's journey, he's constantly probably wrestling with the fact, God, I had these dreams. God, I had these hopes, but it's not aligning. But I still see your hand. So, okay, Lord, I'll keep walking. I'll keep trusting. I'll keep walking. I'll keep trusting. So, as we continue, 
I'll show you how Joseph's mindset, even though the scripture doesn't tell us what Joseph is thinking, I'll show you how I can, we can kind of infer that Joseph was thinking a particular way. Because when Joseph got a chance to get out of prison and go to Pharaoh to interpret his dreams. So just a little quick backstory. Joseph is in prison. He has the ability to interpret dreams through God's wisdom and knowledge. Joseph talks to those who the Egyptian king to, to Pharaoh had in prison. He told them, hey, this is what your dream meant. Go tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh freed them. Cool. Everybody's getting out of jail but Joseph. But Joseph is the one who has favor and kindness. Okay. So he gets out because one of them finally remembered after all they did didn't work for Pharaoh. Hey, there was this guy that was in prison that was telling us he can interpret dreams. So go get him. So the first thing that it's interesting to me was that when Joseph got to Pharaoh's presence, they were talking, okay, I heard you have the ability to interpret dreams and do this stuff, right? Joseph's first response is this. I can't do it. Now, you've been in prison all this time, wrongly accused. The first thing that comes out of your mouth is I cannot do it. Because back in those days, like when you dealt with kings, if you said one wrong word to a king, that was it. You didn't get a repeat. You didn't get a sentence. Let me finish the sentence. No, you're gone. But he says, I cannot do it. Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, but God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. So this is a clear indication that even though Joseph was going through his desert season, he still was resting on God and God being able to deliver him. Even though he didn't see deliverance right away, he still rested in the fact that God can deliver me. So I'm going to keep stepping this thing out. It, I don't like it. It hurts. This is painful. But I'm going to keep pushing. Even on down to the place where he has to come to grips with my dreams don't match my reality at all. And in the desert seasons, our dreams don't match our reality at all. I know for myself, in my own desert season, I was in college. I was working for the city of Atlanta, had a good job, all of that great stuff. Promoted quickly within six months. And God tells me, leave your job. I'm like, that's the devil. Nah, you ain't bring me this far. Like, no, because I done had deserts prior to this. <laughs> so I'm like, this is my Egypt. Like, like I'm, I'm in rulership now. He says, no, leave. So for the next two years, I graduate college, but I don't have a job, and I've never not had a job. God's telling me I will provide. I'll provide for you, son. So I continue to trust. I continue to trust. And I try to make things happen my own way. Nothing was happening. Had a conversation with my bro character. He tells me, look, bro, you all over the place. I know you made the decision. You left your job and you're trusting God. But you got to lock in, bro. Like, you can't, you, can't, you can't be all over the place. I was acting. I'm an actor. I got a good Denzel Washington impersonation. And, you know, I, was, I almost went viral, you know, because it's, that's a good impersonation. 
know, so I said, okay, then, all right, then, listen, I need something to happen. God, I need you to move. I don't know what's going on here, but I need you to do something now, right now. But God didn't respond. <laughs> he left me still trusting him. He left me still trusting him. And I look at Joseph, and I see Joseph says this in Genesis 45. This is where you fast forward. His brothers have come back to Egypt, or come to Egypt for help. And this is Joseph's mindset. I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here. So whatever that is that has happened in your life, that you say, well, this is this person's fault of why I'm like this. This is why I'm battling with, with this sin. This is why I can't put down the bottle. This is why. It was your fault. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made the father, he made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. So can I say this in, in your desert season, for however long you think it's been too long? That maybe God is preparing you and sent you through the desert so you can prepare for your generation to come. come on, man. For your children's children. You may be like John the Baptist. You may not get a chance to see it. But they will. My God. Or you may be like Joseph and you may get a chance to see the fullness of God and, and be the father of Pharaoh. And be able to rest and say, God, I saw your promise. I saw you do it. But either way, they both still trusted. In spite of what it looked like. Yes, they both still rested on the fact that it is written. Yes, sir. It's written. God says who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm a child of the Most High. Yes, my desert doesn't mean I'm deserted. And my struggles do not define who I am. But my heavenly father does. He loves me enough that he sees not just my benefit, but everybody else's benefit from my struggle. And I stand before you today going through many deserts. But my desert brought me here. And if it's just that one person is blessed by it, glory to the most high. But I'm just a byproduct to continue to step, continue to walk. God, I don't know why you're doing this. God, I don't know why you brought me up here to Rockford. It's uncomfortable. I miss my family. I'm used to seeing my mama in the front row of every sermon I've ever preached. That, that can mess with your mind. But guess what? I'm going to keep walking. And you should too. So I want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to pray. And I want you to imagine this. As you guys got name tags as you came in. You're going to get another one, but disclaimer, you're not going to have an opportunity to fill it out because it's written. <laughs> it's written. You are who he says you are. So your mindset from today forward, I challenge you, no matter what you're going through, God, I am who you say I am. Yes, sir. X this, X that. I, used to, I am who you say I am. I'm not my past and I'm not my circumstances. I am who you say I am. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this Sunday morning, Lord.
we ask that you give us your unfailing love and your unfailing peace that surpasses our own understanding. Lord, show us that the deserts that we've been through in our lives that we are currently, some of us are still in. There's a greater purpose for it. And in the process, in the desert, Lord, you, you define us, you refine us, you show us who we are so that we can be able to bless somebody else for we overcome by the power of our testimony. But we can't do it without you, Lord. So I pray that every eye be open, that the veil be dropped, that you see, no, God does love me. Yeah, I went through that, but God loves me. I am loved by the most high. He is pleased with me because I don't have to do nothing for him to be pleased with me. He loves me just because I am who I am because he said it. Let us rest in your unfailing love in these desert seasons. Let us run to you. Let us look to you for strength, for courage, for understanding, for peace. Because with you, we win the battle. Alone, we suffer in silence, in despair. So God, I ask that you touch each heart, touch each mind, and you remind them that you, they are who you say they are. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. You've been listening to Sharmon Pittman with part two of the series titled Desert Sessions. You can experience the service this message came from by going to heartland.cc and clicking on the watch page, or you can go to our YouTube channel at Heartland CC Rockford. You can also watch it on the Heartland CC app. Thanks for listening.